Did you ever make anything? Maybe, uh, maybe you're a crafter. Are there any crafters? You like to make stuff? <laughs> I like to make photographs, which involves getting a camera and taking a picture and then making a photograph out of that picture. Some people like to make sweaters, paintings, houses. Have you ever thought about what it is God is making? Did you know that God is making things? Well, I guess we probably knew that because we sort of recognize that God is the creator. So everything we see is a thing God made. It's quite, quite a bit of artistry involved, it seems to me. In this text that we're coming to today, it's like one of the most famous portions of Scripture. Many people memorize it. You know it, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, I'm sure you could probably quote with me. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, well, he goes on from there in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. That word, workmanship, means a thing made. Like if, you're, if you knit, a sweater is your workmanship. If you sew, the clothing is your workmanship. If you paint, the painting is your workmanship. If you're a contractor, the building is your workmanship. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So, saved not by works, but for good works, which God prepared beforehand. God prepared. Do you think you make your own plan? Did you know there's a plan around yours? God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We are his workmanship. Now, this text we is in the middle of this section. We kind of stopped in the middle that maybe we should title by grace you've been saved. Because that expression is repeated in this text. It was in the part we looked at last time. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you have been saved. By grace, by grace. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved. He says it again. Now, that is the core message of the gospel, and especially here in these verses, by grace. And the rest of this is kind of an elaboration of that. And where we started, we talked about last time, you were dead. You were dead, but God together made alive us with Christ. Now, I said it that way. It sounds kind of funny, but that's because together made alive is all one word in the original book. Together made alive. So it's not just that he made me alive and then some other time he made you alive and then some other time he made someone else alive and each one of us he made alive, though, of course, we're all included. But he made together us alive. He made alive together us And this is important in the book of Ephesians, as we will see in today's word, and also even more in the next few portions, where we're going to have in the rest of chapter 2 an actual description of how he did it. But he made together, he together made alive us with Christ. And why? Why did he do that? To show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God saved us in order to show us something about God, and not just us, but to show all creation something about his own character, his own nature. And that is the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness, which he exercised toward us in Christ. God's ultimate purpose in our salvation is the glory of his grace, the revelation of his marvelous goodness, worship, to glorify his himself, he saved us. So, he says, for by grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved. Saved. What does that mean, saved? Well, it's literally the word we could translate into English with the word rescue. Rescued. Rescued. You ever seen one of those uh, videos on YouTube or whatever where there's a truck or something or parked across a railroad track and you can hear the horn of the train. Rescued means we snatch the truck out of the path of the train just in time. And we talked about this last time because 
What we're rescued from is a condition of dead, not in danger. So it's an even bigger rescue than grabbing the guy out of the truck right before the train hits it. It's rescued from dead. Brought to life. Made alive together. That's the rescue that we have in mind. That's saved. So you have been changed from under the judgment of God to under the grace of God. From dead in trespasses and sins to alive together in Christ. That's the nature of this rescue. And the way he says it is very, very interesting and kind of important. He uses two verbs, one in the present tense and one in the perfect tense, where he says, you are, you are having been rescued. You are in the present tense, you having been rescued, perfect tense. That means you have been saved and you continue to be saved. You are saved for good and forever. Because salvation is by grace. By grace, you have been saved. Now, it's only now that we've said that twice already. And we've talked about God making us alive, God doing a bunch of things and us doing nothing because we were dead. It's only now after he says, by grace you've been saved, and then he says, for by grace you've been saved again. And in the meantime, he said, you've been made alive. God made us alive. God raised us up with Christ. God seated us in the heavenly places in Christ. All of that has been done, and it's only now that we read through faith. Because Paul wants us to be very clear, faith is not a work. Faith is not something that merits God's attention. Faith, what does it mean then? You simply trusted God's kindness in Christ. God announced his kindness in Christ, and you trusted in it. You said, okay. Now, in case this wasn't clear already, he says, through faith, and this not from you. Now, it seemed like from me. I mean, it does, I remember, you know, when I was, I was five years old when I trusted in Christ, and I talked to my mom, and I prayed a little prayer, and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I trusted him to do just exactly that. It seemed like a thing I was doing. And in a certain respect, it is a thing I did. 
I exercised this faith. But the question is, how did you come to believe? And Paul says here, it's not from you. How is it then? Well, you could read in John chapter 3, for example, you were born again of the Spirit. The Spirit worked, operated in you, so that when you were dead, he made you alive and you believed. You could also read about this in 2 Corinthians, the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, where we read that this God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see Christ as he is. And what happens is the Spirit of God alleviates us of that condition so that we do see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that is how anyone comes to faith, so that even the faith I trusted Christ to receive this salvation, even that faith is the gift of God. And that's exactly what he says in the very next phrase. By grace you've been saved through faith, and this, not from you, from God, is the very next expression. <laughs> not from you, from God, the gift. From God. Not from works. Not of your own doing. It's like he can't say this enough times. Through faith, not from you, but from God, the gift, not from you. Not by your own doing, not from works. He keeps on saying this. Why is it so important that we get the idea that we are passive in our own salvation? that it is something we simply receive and not something we ourselves make any contribution to whatsoever. Why does he need to say that so much? Why is it such a big deal to say not of works? Well, would you believe he gives the reason right here? so that no one may boast. In other words, why did God do this in the first place? What did we already read? Why did he do this? We read it two or three times in the chapter 1, and again here in chapter 2. To the praise of the glory of his grace. To the to show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. God's purpose in saving us was to show himself. And so he allows no contribution whatsoever from you. He is not sharing the glory on this. Now, we, in the end, become participants in his glory by this very thing. 
But here's how that works, I think. You know, have you ever heard a preacher threaten you with, uh, you know, to get, to get you to stop some sin you're doing by telling you that one day all your sins will be exposed? So you better be careful. Well, the Scripture says in Christ there's no condemnation. There's no judgment. There's no punishment. There's no, there's none of that left. Jesus took it all. But the Scripture does say that everything we do will be judged and, I guess in a certain sense, exposed. But not for the purpose of punishment. Do you see that the long reach of God is the glory of God? And that if you were way, way down there and He got a hold of you, then this shows the great, the surpassing greatness of His grace and kindness toward you. That Paul says, Paul says, oh, you think you're a sinner? Get in line. He calls himself the chief of sinners. He says, if you think you're a sinner, you're, you, you got nothing on me. This is the apostle in the Bible. I am at the head of the line of sinners. I persecuted Christ. I was out to kill followers of Christ. When they crucified Christ, I thought it was a good idea. Nobody's deeper than me, but the grace of God reached me. And he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? so that it can be shown that it's all Him and not us for the glory of His grace, so that when, if your sins ever get exposed, and I'm not sure if that's how it's going to work or not, but one day my guess is we will be standing around in heaven going, oh, you think that was a sin? Let me tell you about mine. Just like Paul does in the Scripture. Let me tell you what I did that the cross of Christ overcame to the glory of the greatness of God's grace in His kindness toward us. It's upside down. So, by grace you've been saved, rescued, you were dead, and He made you alive. He did this through faith. You received it. You trusted it. You said, okay, yeah, I believe. Why did you do that? Because the Spirit of God opened your eyes to see Christ for real. And that faith didn't come from you. It came from Him. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. If somebody gives you a fantastic gift and you reach in your pocket to pay for it, you're just insulting the giver. 
It's a gift. And the, the way you give thanks is to live by the gift, to live in the gift, to walk in the grace, to have it and to want it more, to say, Lord, that is the best. Please help me see it even more clearly. Not from works, so that no one can boast. There's no pride in salvation. The people who are saved are the bad people. Jesus said, if you're already righteous, then I'm not here for you. So I want to pause here and ask you this question. Are you made alive together with Christ? Or are you still dead in your trespasses and sins? Are you alive or are you dead? It's possible you might hear that question you go, I don't know. How could you tell? How can you tell if you are made alive together in Christ or still dead in your trespasses and sins? How do you know? It's very simple, and it goes by this question. Do you rely on Christ and what He has done, or do you try to explain what you have done? It's printed in the bulletin, and I printed it in the bulletin so you could take it with you. The question is simple. Do you rely on Christ and what He has done, or do you try to explain what you've done? If I ask you the question, do you think you're going to heaven when you die? And you say yes, everyone says yes. Everyone. Or they say, well, I don't believe in heaven. But if you think there is a heaven, you think you're going there. If I say, why do you think you're going there? And you start to tell me about what you have done. If you start to explain to me how you're not such a bad person, if you start to tell me that God ought to let you in because you can think of a lot of people who are worse than you, you can name a number of sins you have not committed. If you are explaining to me what you have done, you have missed the truth of the gospel, which is all about what he has done. By grace you have been saved. And so I would encourage you this morning, if if you think, oh, now I see, well, now you see. Simply take what he gives, and Jesus Christ himself said these words, No one who comes to me ever is turned down. Ever. And so if you come to him, 
you are saved and you came to him because he worked that in your own heart. Now, whether you notice that or not, when you come to him, he says yes. And so, (laughs) if you haven't, please do. Please accept this gift. This gift. Are you dead or alive? How do you know? If you're counting on what Christ did, you're alive. If you're counting on what you do, you're dead. That's the very definition of dead, by the way. Independence from God. It's not where you want to live. It's dead. Trusting Christ. It's as simple as that. By grace, you have been saved. For we are His workmanship. Now, the emphasis, I think, in that expression has to be His. We are His workmanship because he kept, He's saying this another way now. He's saying you're not your own project. You're His project. You didn't work yourself up into acceptability before God. God did it. God is doing it. You are His work, not your own work. And the word workmanship, it's this, it's this great word. It's the word, the English word poem comes from. It means like a work of art. A work of art. His creative project we are created in Christ Jesus. And this reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have died, everything's new. So we don't look on, we don't, we don't look, see people the same way we used to do before we were in Christ. We see people with the eyes of Christ. We see people as the objects of His love. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Or I'm also thinking of Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Created in Christ Jesus. His workmanship, not, I am not creating myself. It is a big deal in the modern world to create yourself, right? People worship celebrities because they create themselves, and then every now and then they decide, I'm going to recreate myself, and they do something else. And we think uh, these people are great because they recreate themselves several times. I'm not creating myself. I am His workmanship created in Christ. And then there's four good works. Four. (laughs) So before, He said, not from works. But for, we say this like this, 
I don't live I don't do good for salvation. I do good from salvation. Because the grace of God works in me, I do good. Not in order to gain something from God. There's not anything God needs from you. Not a single thing. That one's hard to swallow, I know. You don't hear this very often from preachers, but there is not one thing God needs from you. He made you for crying out loud, and He is making you again in Christ. He raised you from the dead. He lifted you up. He seated you at the right hand. You are His workmanship. You are not your own project. You're His. Four good works that God prepared beforehand. Oh, so even our good works are His. Even the things, good works, He wants me to do from His grace, not for His merit. Even those He prepared. <laughs> he doesn't say four good works, so prepare some good works. He says four good works which God has already prepared. Do you get the idea that Paul is kind of a nut on this grace thing? Uh-huh. Because it's about the glory of God and not our glory. And so, because it's about the glory of God, it has to be the work of God and exclusively the work of God. And what is so glorious about God is that He has raised us from the dead. When there was not one thing we could do about it. So, for good works which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. And this reminded me of Romans chapter 6. What would make a work good? It's an expression of God's love. That's it. Well, Romans 6, this is verse 12. Therefore, <clears throat> do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its lusts. Now he's speaking to people who, are, who know Christ, who are in Christ. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of, righteous, of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. <laughs> It's like he's saying this. You're alive from the dead. Stop acting dead. Because you're not dead. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. 
You present yourself to God as an instrument of his righteousness. Now, Angelo was over here playing the piano earlier. The piano is an instrument. Who is the musician? Not the piano. The musician plays the instrument, and that is how we get music. We get music not really from an instrument, but through it. Somebody has to play it, and even one like this where, you know, it can sort of play itself. Some musicians had to program it to do that. An instrument of righteousness. In other words, all real righteousness has its source in God. God produces the good works in you. God prepares them in advance and gives you the sight to see them and empowers you by His Spirit to actually make the sacrificial loving things that are righteous. Present yourself to God as an instrument of His righteousness, for sin shall not be master over you. You died. Sin's not your master anymore, so... Quit submitting yourself to sin and submit yourself to God. Let Him do righteous deeds in and through you. Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You see, when Paul teaches Christians to be obedient, he doesn't say because there are rules. He just doesn't do it. At the beginning of this chapter, somebody's saying, well, if grace, if there's always more grace and wherever there's sin, there's more grace, maybe we should sin so to get more grace. And he says, don't be an idiot. You died to sin. You don't have to live that way anymore. You're not under the law. You're under, he doesn't say, oh, don't forget, God will get you if you don't behave yourself. He never says that. To believers. <laughs> he says here, present yourself to God. Why? Because you can. And you are under grace. And because you are under grace, you find the liberty to live in righteousness. So, get together with God and give yourself to Him and say, so what now? So God saved us. We are created in Christ Jesus, His workmanship for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And even those good works are the good work of God in us. Because I am moved by the love of Christ, I want the love of Christ to be made visible in this world. And if, I, if you can see it in something I did, oh, 
then I'm really starting to get it. And I want to get it better. So I want to try doing it so that I can understand it. Paul says, I want to live a sacrificial sort of life because the thing that I want more than anything is to know Christ. And he lived a sacrificial sort of life. So if I try that, then maybe I'll understand him a little bit more. And maybe I'll grasp his love. And Jesus said, the one who loves me keeps my commandments. And the one who keeps my commandments, I love. And I will manifest myself to him. In other words, when we try to exhibit the love of Christ, Christ exhibits the love of Christ more to us. And we spiral upward in God's grace. From grace, there's never one single thing you can deserve from God. Never. Well, unless you count death. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, there's one thing we sort of skipped by while we've been talking about this workmanship, this gracious creation of God that is a believer in Jesus. In this sentence, we are His workmanship. The church is really in that sentence in a way that's not easy to see in the English language. But in the Greek language that this was written in, it's right there. Because this says, we are. That's plural, more than one, all of us believers. We are. We is a plural word. Are is a plural verb. His workmanship. Period. No S on the end of that singular noun, workman. There's only one workmanship that we all are. There's only one craft of God that we all are. He doesn't say here, we are God's workmanships. We are God's projects. We are God's, we all are God's project, one thing. And this is clear in the book of Ephesians when we go on to read in the very next section how God took two groups of people and made one new man, singular, out of them. And it was already clear in the, in the sentences we read last week where we had all these soon words, all these together words. He made us together alive. He together raised us up. He together seated us. He could have just said he seated us, but he says soon seated. He says together seated us. He says together made us alive. 
And when we read the rest of chapter 2, this is going to be just like the theme. He himself is our peace, and he reconciles us together into one new man, and as one new man reconciles us to the Father by the blood of his cross. Wow, I'm getting to preach that already. But here's the thing. We are his workmanship, the church, the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all from chapter 1. In this text, we are not each a work of God. We are together a work of God. So, when you look around in the body of Christ... That might change how you approach this idea of God preparing good works in advance for us. That much of the good works in advance He has prepared for us is, consists of things we together do. We are the body of Christ. We are the living representation of Christ in the world today. Not just me and you, but us together. And it might have a big shift in how you think in terms of how big a deal is the church. It's a bigger deal than you think. And so we are a thing together. I am not called to operate on my own as a Christian. And I am, I'm not, I'm called to operate together with you. We are called together to figure out what the book says. We are called together to live before the world in such a way that the love of Christ is made plain. We are His workmanship. You were dead, but God together made us alive. For by grace you've been saved. Through faith, you received it. You said yes. You simply trusted. But this isn't from you. Even that, you came to believe because of the work of God in your heart. It's from God, a gift, not from works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Created in Christ Jesus. I think most of the time when I'm looking around in the church, I have too low a vision for who we are and what we're here for. Seems to be about, you know, getting this or that thing done, blah, 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 you know, details, all that. But what we are is the fullness of God who fills all in all. We are the glorious representation of the love of Christ in this world. We operate from this resurrected position. It is a gift beyond measure. A gift beyond measure. Let us present 
our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is the only sensible thing to do in the light of this gift and our service of worship. Father, we give you thanks. Lord, I don't know much to say beyond that. Your goodness to us is beyond belief. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to trust it more. Help us to see it more clearly. Lord, we pray for the ministry of the Word and the Spirit in every heart in this room, in all the church everywhere, that we would see the surpassing wealth of Your grace toward us in Christ. That we would see the security in which we live. That we would love as we have been loved. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.